And we, we just we really believe this, and I hope you accept this. We don't do visitors here. You're part of the family. And, and once you come in, you're part of the family. And we're just glad that you're here and that you're spending this time together with us. I uh, wanted to just highlight to you, and just a reminder, I know we had it on our announcements. We do have an all-church cookout this Friday at Pastor Tyler's house. How many of you know where Pastor Tyler's house is? If you like Christmas lights, you're going to want to memorize his address. Because around Christmas t- time... I don't personally know anybody who puts up more Christmas lights than Pastor Tyler does, okay? So you put that on your list. But um, if you know where Duncan is, just out on State Street over here, you make a left next to Duncan back there on Sunset. You follow that back and you'll see his house back there. There's a church on the corner, uh, but you can easily find it. But we'd love to invite you to be a part of that. Uh, We're going to have hamburgers and hot dogs, but bring something good to share. Um, I challenge you with this. Whatever your best uh, side dish is that you make, bring it and let me have some of it, okay? That's, that's my challenge to you, all right? So that'll be this Friday at six o'clock. We hope that you can be a part of that. Um, Want to get into my, my message this morning. We're going to be wrapping up the series that we've been on over the last four weeks uh, about Abraham, Father Abraham, and, and just the realities of everything that he faced in his life through following God's plan and just the, really the way that it reshaped him and, and in a way how it's, how it's changed us. The, the impact that it has made on our lives. And so we're going to finish this week really by talking about this word covenant, okay? How many of you have ever heard the word covenant before? Okay, covenant is, is a part of Scripture, and it's something for us to, to really look into. And there are hundreds of covenants that you will come across in Scripture. And, and you, can, you can find them this way. If you, then I. You see those two phrases, you've come across a covenant. If you do this, then I will do this. And God speaks this to the Israelites specifically all throughout history. If you follow me, if you trust me, if you obey me, then I will bless you, I'll provide for you, I'll take care of you. If you turn your back on me, if you serve other gods, if you forsake me, then I will send you into, like it's time and time again he says these things. But I want us to understand there's a difference between covenant and love, okay? God loves you. Turn to your neighbor and say, God loves you. Tell your other neighbor too, just so that they don't feel left out. Because, you know, that other neighbor could be like, well, wait a minute, I thought God loves me too. God loves you unconditionally. What does that mean? There are no conditions. He just loves you, okay? He just loves you. He created you. He made you in his own image and he loves you. But there's a difference between love and covenant. Let me explain it to you this way, all right? Uh, I have a daughter who is going to be turning 16 in just a few months. I imagine that not long after that, she's going to say, Dad, can I borrow the car? No. This is all hypothetical, okay? When we have that kind of a a request, right, of, of our father, right, we instantly enter into covenantal agreement with one another because here are going to be the terms of my covenant for using the car. Just write this down, okay? Bring it back full of gas, drive safely, and don't throw garbage all over in my car. I know, if you don't know this about me, I like a clean car. I'm telling you right now, if you get into my car, it is clean. That's just, that's how I am. That's my thing. So those are going to be my terms. Bring it back safely, drive safely, okay? Bring it back with gas and don't trash it. Does that sound simple, right? Now, I know this is all hypothetical, but imagine my daughter brings back my car on E and I find some sheets bags in the back seat. I know, just try to imagine. I know that seems so crazy and outlandish, but just try to imagine that happening. 
In that moment, she will have broken our covenant, and I will be like, listen, I told you this is what you needed to do. You're not borrowing the car anymore. If you're not going to gas it up, and if you're not going to take care of your garbage, you can't use it anymore. But here's my question. Do I still love my daughter? 100%. I still love my daughter. I still am very proud of her. But there is a covenantal agreement that we had about certain things. And if that covenant gets broken, there is a consequence. And this is the reality of what we see in Scripture. There are covenants that God makes with us. In fact, if you go through the Old Testament, there is the Noahic covenant, the Davidic covenant, Mosaic covenant, uh, and we'll talk about the Abrahamic covenant today. All of these different covenants that God makes with his people through different times and places, and they impact us, but here's what I want to look at today. We're going to look at Genesis 17, all right, and if you don't have a Bible, we have brand new Bibles in the pews that you can use. They're right in front of you. They are the New Living Translation, so you will see exactly what I'm reading as I'm reading it, but we're going to go to the book of Genesis, chapter 17, and we're just going to start by reading verses 1 through 8, okay? Here's what it says. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, which means God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. At this, Abram fell down on his face on the ground and God said to him, this is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I am changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham, for you will be the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations and kings will be among them. I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you. From generation to generation. This is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And I will give the entire land of Canaan where you now live as a foreigner to you and your descendants. It will be their possession forever, and I will be their God. We've been talking about this meeting with Abraham and God for the last couple weeks. Abram, 75 years old when he finally leaves mom and dad's basement. Okay, again, we're praying for you if you're in that stage right now, all right? It's gonna happen. 75 years old when he finally leaves home and he goes off into the world to do his own thing. He ends up in this land, the land of Canaan. God speaks to him. Hey, where you're at, I'm going to give you this land as a, as a possession and inheritance to your descendants. Abraham is 75. His wife is 65. They have no kids. Okay? He's a foreigner in this land. And as we read several weeks ago, it would be generations before his family would ever inhabit this land and take care of it. So Abram is is receiving all of these things. He's hearing the terms of all of these covenants. And God in the midst of this says, I'm changing your name. This covenant that I'm making with you is going to so drastically impact your life and even tells him later, the rest of the world, that you can no longer remain who you have been. I'm changing who you are and you're gonna have a new identity. And here's the awesome part about covenants. Covenants change everything. All right, a covenant with God changes everything. Now again, God loves us, right? God always loves us. He always will love us. He sent his son to die for us because he loves us. But when we enter into covenant relationship with God, things about us begin to change, even though God himself never changes. 
Covenant changes us. You know, you may come from a lot of different backgrounds this morning, and maybe you've been in different uh, social and economic and all kinds of different things. Maybe people have said things over you in your life that you're not smart enough or you're not tall enough or strong enough or handsome or beautiful or, or whatever. All of the things, those monikers that people have put on your life, all of those fall off at the feet of Jesus. Because your identity is not what anybody else has ever said about you in your life. Jesus died on the cross for you, and he said you were worth dying for, and that he was giving you a new covenant and would change your name to child of the living God. That's who you are. This covenant changes everything. And so we look at at, uh, Abraham and see this covenant with him changed everything. He went from being a 75-year-old man who didn't have a family, who didn't have an inheritance, who didn't have anything of his own, to God saying, no, that's no longer who you are. You're going to be the father of nations. There will be kings among you. And in fact, the world will be blessed through you. Abraham doesn't know this, but Jesus is going to be in his own lineage and is going to change the world forever. Covenants change everything. But there's a part of this that I want to show you, and you're going to have to stay on your toes here because I think I'm going to show you something you've probably never seen before, all right? You want to take on that challenge? Anybody? Challenge accepted. Something you've probably never seen before, all right, in Scripture, and I want to show it to you today. Genesis 15, so go back a couple chapters, okay? This is the first time that God's beginning to speak about to Abraham about the things that he has in store for him, all right? And he begins to go through this process of here's how we're going to enter into this covenant agreement, all right? And here's what he says to him. Genesis 15, verses 9 to 11. The Lord tells him, <clears throat> bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. It's quite a shopping list, Okay. So Abram presented all these to him and killed them. Then he cut each animal down the middle and laid the halves side by side. He did not, however, cut the birds in half. Some vultures swooped down to eat the carcasses, but Abram chased them away. Now, a couple of thoughts occur to me here. Let's just get the the first and foremost out of the way. On the count of three, let's all just say, ew. All right, ready? One, two, three. Ew. Oh, like, ew. Like, if this is the price of, like, covenantal agreement with God, like, <laughs> I don't know where I'm at on that, okay? There are a couple of things that stick out to me here. Like, what, what in the world is going on? So God asks him to bring a cow, a goat, a ram, and then he tells him, cut them in half. I don't know about you, but the first thing that comes to my ADD mind or whatever that is is, how in the world did he cut these in half? Did he have a lightsaber? He's like, Like, that would be awesome. But we're talking Abraham. We're talking 2400 BC, okay? It's not like he had a sawzall or a meat grinder or anything else. He just cut them in half. So that's just my brain. He cuts them in half, and this is the the picture that we see. But then there's something else that happens in the midst of this moment. So we have, obviously, it's a little bit ew, a little bit gross. But there's this sacred moment that's happening. And then I read something in Scripture here, and I've never personally seen this. But it's one of those that I'm like, why is this in Scripture? Some vultures swoop down to eat the carcasses, but Abram chased them away. This sacred moment that Abram is having with God, and out of nowhere, some vultures just start swarming. Right? I don't know about you. I've been on hikes before. Jess and I, we go, on, we go hiking, and I'm like up the side of the hill, and I feel like I'm dying, and vultures are so over my head. And I'm like, we're not dead. 
We're not dead. We just look dead. We're still alive, right? I was talking to somebody after first service, and he said that um, he was over in the Iraq war uh, uh, back in the, uh, the 90s, and he said that um, he said that vultures there are crazy. He said they're all over the place. He said it just really reminded him as we were talking about this. But these vultures are there, and he's got this fresh meat laying around, right? And, and vultures, they're opportunistic eaters, right? There's something available. We're going to swoop down, and we're going to get it. And Abram sees this moment, and he says, you're not taking my sacred moment with the Lord. He literally, I mean, let's picture this. Come on. We got 75-year-old Abram. Who's 75 in here? Never mind. Don't answer that question. I forgot you don't ask that. Running out into the field and yelling and getting all the vultures off of his carcasses that he cut in half with his lightsaber somehow because they're trying to come in and take away from his sacred moment between him and the Lord. And, and really, something that really occurred to me in this moment as I'm reading this, studying this week, is how important it is that in our covenant with God, we keep the vultures away. Church, this is so important that we learn to keep the vultures away because many of you could probably testify to the reality that in life, there are things that try to come in and eat away at your sacred moments and sacred spaces with God. Listen, John 10.10 10 says it this way, that the enemy, right, Satan, his job is this, to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what he wants. 1 Peter 5.8 tells us that he's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He himself is an opportunistic eater. He's waiting for you to be weak. He's waiting for you to be off by yourself because in that moment he knows he can pounce. He's just like a vulture, keeping the vultures at bay, keeping them away. <clears throat> and your relationship with God is so important. There are a lot of things that can come in and take away from God's plan for your life, the promise that God has for you, the things that God has in store. And if we're not careful to safeguard these things, they begin to erode the promise from us. And this is what I want to show you that I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a, a guess out there that you've probably never seen before, okay? I want to show you a map. This is a map of the Middle East. This is Israel. Everybody recognize Israel? It's like really small, shaped like a knife kind of, okay? This is the current modern-day nation of Israel. Now, when God is speaking to Abram and he tells him what he's going to give him, the promised land, what he tells him is he says, I'm giving you all of this land between the river of Egypt and the great Euphrates River. Can you put that picture up? This is what God actually promised to Abram. This, look at this giant landmass. And again, I don't have labels on all the countries up there, but that covers Saudi Arabia, Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, Palestine, all of these smaller countries. And God says, this is your inheritance. This is what I'm giving to you. And he even goes on to describe all the people who are currently living in it. He goes, but this is the land that I'm promising to you. But here's the problem that happens with Israel. Though Abraham was wise enough to safeguard the sacred moment and sacred space with God and keep the vultures away, his descendants did not. In fact, when they go into the promised land, God says, don't have anything to do with their culture and with their customs, but they did. Don't worship their gods, but they did. Don't give your sons to be married to their daughters and don't give your daughters to be married to their sons, but they did. And every single time they allowed a little bit more 
and a little bit more, and every time it just continually eroded and eroded and took away from the promise of what God has in store. The vultures over centuries continued to come in on the promise that God had given to them and taken it and whittled it down to the all that was left was that tiny little sliver right there on the left side. Church, safeguarding the promise and the covenant that we have with God is so important. Thinking about the things in our lives that would come in and try to steal, kill, and destroy that sacred space, that sacred relationship, that precious promise from God is so important because if we don't, we too, just like the Israelites, can end up in that place of where over time we look back and we just wake up one day and we realize our relationship with God isn't what it used to be. It isn't what we thought it would be. I thought it would be like this and I'd end up here and have this, but I look back now and it's just a shadow of what my relationship with God used to be in church. It happens all the time. I run into people constantly who I used to go to church. How many of you knew somebody who used to go to church? How many of you know somebody who used to hear from the Lord, who used to pray, who used to read the Bible, who used to serve, who used to give, all of these things that we talk about in, in being part of, of what God's doing, and all of it is because that over time, we just allowed little thing after little thing after little thing to come in, the vultures to swarm around the promise and just totally erode it until there's nothing left. Abram saw this for what it was. And he ran out and said, no vulture is taking my sacred space. No vulture is taking my sacred moment. This is between me and the Lord. And nobody else can have it. Church, we've got to have that attitude. We've got to have that attitude. Nobody else can have my sacred space with the Lord. Nobody else can have my sacred covenant with the Lord. I wouldn't trade anything if it's going to cost me that sacred place between me and God. These are the terms that God gives Abraham in his covenant Follow God without wavering. Serve God faithfully and live a blameless life. Tells them that every male in his household, all of his servants, everything must be circumcised. Descendants must keep the terms of this covenant. And then God says again, this is the if you, then I. Here's the then I part of what God says he'll do. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you goes on to tell him all the nations of the world will be blessed by you i will give you protection and reward i will give you a land grant as we just saw a second ago from the nile all the way to the euphrates river i'll give you descendants he tells him go look at the stars you'll have more descendants than that go look at the sea the the sand in the in the uh, desert you'll have more descendants than that god will bless the nations through you this is what God gives him. This is the promise that he gives him. But here's what I really wanted us to focus on for our last few moments today. What covenant has God given you? Because God gave you a covenant. And I want us to understand that this morning. God gave you in your seat, yes, you and the person next to you and beside you and around you, God gave you a covenant. What is it? And this is what I want us to look at. We're going to go to Romans quick. And there are a lot of places that we could see this, but Romans kind of just brings it in concisely. And we're, we're going to read this in Romans 10, verses 5 through 11. Here is the covenant that God has given to you. Verse 5, it says this. Moses writes that the law's way of making a person right with God requires obedience to all of its commands. Right? Here's the law, the long list of the law. You've got to follow it to the T, and if you mess up, you're out. That's how the law works. But faith's way of getting right with God says, 
Don't say in your heart who will go up to heaven to bring Christ down to earth. Don't say who will go down to the place of the dead to bring Christ back again. Meaning, where is God? Don't say that. But by faith, say this. In fact, this is what it says. The message is very close at hand. It is on your lips and in your heart. And that message is the very message about faith that we preach. If, right here, covenant language. So let's look at it, what it is. If you, here's what he says. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, next part, then you, right? You will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. I want to read that again. It is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Listen, this is God's covenant with you. This is the covenant through the blood of Jesus that God made with you. It's not Abraham's covenant. It's not Noah's covenant. It's not David's covenant. They would have loved a covenant like this because it's not the law. It's relationship with Jesus. This is the covenant that he gave you. He says, if you, if you believe in your heart that Jesus died for you, that when he rose from the grave, he did it for you, that he overcame your sin, if you believe that. And then the second part, and this is so important, church, please don't miss the second part of it because again, if you miss one part, 50% of the covenant, we break it. He says, but if you live openly, profess openly with your life, your actions, your attitudes, your decisions, your words, everywhere that you go. If you're professing these things openly, then you will be saved. God says, this is the term that I have given to you. This is what it is. So again, let's look at these terms. What does he say? Believe in Jesus as the Son of God and that his death and resurrection were on your behalf. Follow God without wavering. Serve God faithfully and live a blameless life. Matthew 5, 48, Jesus says this to his disciples. It's one of those tough things to read. He says to them, be perfect even as I am perfect. I don't know about you, but my level of perfection in comparison to Jesus isn't always that great. But that's the part of this covenant that makes it so awesome. We'll continue here, but this is what he says. God will bless and curse those who bless and curse you. God will give you protection and reward. He'll provide for you. He will bless your family and bless the nations through you. God says, I've given you a covenant. And if we're looking at Abraham's, it's not very different. It's living for God. It's trusting God. It's putting God first. It's believing in what Jesus has done for us. But there's a caveat to this, that David, that Moses, that Noah, that Abraham would have loved to have. And it's called grace. It's called grace. God says, my new covenant with you does not mean you don't have to do anything. You can just live however you want and I'm cool with it. God says, no, my my relationship with you, my covenant with you is live blamelessly. Walk before me uprightly. Live for my glory. Openly profess your relationship with me so that you wouldn't even have to say it with your words. That should be the way that you live. And he goes, but here's the great gift. If you make a mistake, aren't you grateful for Romans 3.23? 
For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But there's grace. And God says, hey, here's the mark, here's the target, here's what you've got to hit. In fact, the very word sin that we use, and I say this a hundred times, but it's just the reality we have to remember. It's an it's a archery term that means you miss the mark. God says, here's the mark, it's Jesus. Be perfect as Jesus is perfect. Live openly in a way that glorifies. But if you miss, if you sin, I am merciful and just, and my grace is sufficient to cover you. All you have to do is ask, God, will you forgive me? And he says that he's so good that he'll give it to us. Church, that's the covenant God gave with you. But here's the reality. There are vultures that want to come in and rob you of that promise. There are things that want to come in and eat away at that sacred space between you and God, that sacred promise between you and God. We've got to have the vision to see them for what they are. We've got to have that that same diligence that Abraham had to say, no, I'm not letting the vultures in to come steal, kill, and destroy what has been given to me by God. This is between me and the Lord, and it matters so much to me that I'm going to protect it from anything and everything else. It's going to change me because it's a covenant, and covenants change things. It's going to change who I am, where I go, what I do, what I say, how I act, how I respond. It's going to change my relationships. It's going to change my goals. It's going to change everything about me, but I want it because in one hand, I have all that I am, but over here, because of the covenant, the grace, the mercy of God is the plan that he has for me, and I wouldn't trade what I've got if it means I'd lose what God has in store for me. Church, I believe, you know, as I was looking at that map this week, I believe God has promises for every one of your lives, my life, my family, your families, that are every bit as big as that promised land on the map. But here's the problem. We let the vultures in too many times. It just dwindles it down, dwindles it down, dwindles it down, eats away, eats away, eats away to a point that we just become somewhat satisfied with what's left over. But it was never what God had in store. It wasn't his plan. And I'm grateful God's so merciful and gracious. There are times and places where he can even restore back to us what we've lost. It has not been the case for Israel. Let us learn from that example and from Abraham and say, God, I choose you. I put you first. I want to live in covenantal relationship with you. I will take on that if you part. I want to live for you openly, declaring you with my life, my actions and attitudes, all that I am, because I want your salvation. This gift is so precious to me. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for the covenant that you have given us through the the blood of your son, Jesus. What an incredible gift. We thank you for that all-sufficient grace that's big enough to cover us, Lord, when we fall and fail and make mistakes. God, you've been so good to us, better than most of us could ever realize. And God, I pray that in this moment, you just begin to speak to hearts in this room that there's a sacred covenant that you desire to have between you and them. And Lord, that we have to take it seriously and safeguard it from the vultures just like Abraham did if we hope to see it sustained 
into the future. As we're in prayer in this moment, I just want to ask you if you're here and everybody's got their eyes closed and heads are bowed. It's just a moment between you and the Lord. This is that sacred space. Maybe that idea of having a covenant with God and a covenantal relationship with God, maybe that's something new to you that you've never really done before, never even heard about before. But you think to yourself, I I want that kind of relationship with God. I want to make that kind of agreement, that kind of covenant with God where I'm his and he is mine. If that's you, can I just ask you to slip up a hand? I want to pray for you this morning. Thank you, thank you, yeah, thank you, thank you. Or maybe you're here today and you're looking at your life and, and you can remember a time when the promise was really big. You can remember a time when that sacred space was so precious and the promise so powerful. But you look at where you're at now and, and you can see, you know, and, and, and it's the Holy Spirit. It's not me, it's not you. But just when we say the word vultures, something tugs at you and you think, I've, I've had some vultures take away from what I had with God or what I hoped to have with God at one point. If that's you, can I just ask you to slip up a hand? I want to pray for you as well. Yeah, thank you. Quite a few hands. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Can I ask you to stand as as we finish up together here? Here's, Here's the way covenants work. The language of God's covenant with us is so simple. We call it the sinner's prayer. It's this moment in which we just say, God, I believe that your son Jesus came to die on my behalf and I invite him into my heart. That's the terms of our covenant. We're speaking it with God. It takes seconds to do that. But covenants are a lifetime agreement. A lifetime agreement in relationship. It's when you leave here. It's when you go to work. It's when you're with your family. It's when you're at home and watching TV and on the internet and on your phone and at your workplace. It's those places where living in accordance to the covenant that you made with the Lord, it changes you. There are things you won't do that other people do, that you won't say that other people say, that you won't be a part of that other people do so willing. You you know that's not me because I'm part of a covenant with God. And I don't want vultures to come in and take away from that covenant. So I want to lead you in a prayer. And even if you didn't raise your hand, if we could just pray together for those who did. But I want to pray over you because that covenant is special. It's sacred. And it's a gift from God. So will you pray this with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me and giving me a covenant through your blood. I invite you into my heart. And I want to live openly for your glory. Be my Savior. I accept the terms of your covenant and believe that I am saved in Jesus' name. God, I pray for those especially who the vultures have come in and robbed. And God, I'm so glad that your grace is big enough. Oh God, just this moment to just reflect on your grace. It's big enough that no matter what we've lost, Your grace is sufficient to bring us back to that first love, that first place of covenant with you. And I pray, Lord, for those who have sensed that in themselves and seen what they've lost, that you would just quicken to them now, Lord, 
and reaffirm in this moment that you're still here, you still love them, you're good, you love them, and you have a plan for them. We thank you for loving us, Lord, for sending your son to die for us. We thank you for the new covenant through the blood of your son, Jesus. It has truly changed us, and we give you all the glory, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, go live in your covenant. It was a gift and a promise that God gave to you. Don't let anybody else rob, steal, and destroy it. Lord, bless you. Our prayer team will be up here. Would love to pray with you if you need prayer this morning. But delight in the Lord and in fellowship with each other.